Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. Last week we had Brian Stelter on to talk about his book, Network of Lies. And I noticed on threads he posted where there was a crossover with my friend Garrett Graff's new book, UFO. So I really wanted to, to have Garrett on to talk about it. UFO is about alien life, how mind-blowing the truth about it may be, and what the government should be doing about it. I think the conspiracy theories behind UFOs could be part of the root of the problem. Garrett, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. It's always great to talk to you. That's not true. <laughs> Alex, where, where, do you want to, where do you want to start? Well, on that note, uh, before we get into Garrett's new book, and I really want to get there, uh, Joe, we were playing around before this, and you were talking about a clip from the CNN True Believers documentary where I think almost at the very end, they have a, a great clip of Garrett. And we actually found the clip I thought our listeners would probably appreciate it. And to your point, Joe, this is this is Garrett talking about you. And then actually your your response is pretty good too. No, we'll could we could put the clip in. I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, I love this man. Like I would follow him off a cliff. And yet I have never had a positive interaction with him. <laughs> He's in fact <laughs> rumpled up press releases that Garrett has written and thrown oh, them at me. At Garrett. <laughs> he, like, he's never said a nice word to me, and yet, like, I, like, I would do anything for him. Uh, like I pointed out, uh, it's it's not always pleasant to talk to me. I, I, uh, I actually, the one thing I should say is as many, uh, Press releases I crumpled up and threw at you. You have, I mean, just done amazing writing in a lot of the books that you, and I mean, just incredible pieces. And uh, my hat's off to you, Garrett. And so I really want to get to the meat of this. And and, and thank you for your comments about, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, willing to do things even for the, the guy who was uh, so rough on you early on. But I appreciate it. Alex, where do you want to get going? Yeah, well, so Garrett, and the cool part here is, you know, beyond the, yeah. the press releases, what you have written about and, and the, the books you have, the, the projects you have undertaken. I mean, we had you on to talk about Watergate. Joe and I have both read The Last Plane in the Sky. And then I noticed you had a book about UFOs come out. So from your background, from everything on the national security, the history, cybersecurity, how did you get to UFOs? Yeah, so this is, at first glance, a strange topic for me to take on, um, as you mentioned. But it turns out to be more centrally situated to a lot of the work that I did than I ever imagined that it would be when I started the project. I come at this as someone who, since working for you, Joe, have spent most of the last 20 years covering national security, yeah. uh, writing about the presidency, uh, writing about the Cold War, war on terror, cybersecurity. And I got interested in UFOs in 2017 when there was a series of blockbuster reporting by the New York Times and Politico outlining a couple of secret Pentagon programs aimed at studying what the government now calls UAPs, Unidentified Anomalous Phenomenon, the modern nomenclature for UFOs, and reporting on a, a series of puzzling encounters that Navy aviators have had with objects that they 
think are technology beyond our understanding of physics and flight. And that series of revelations, uh, some follow-up reporting, uh, sparked interest on Capitol Hill and really changed the tone of conversation within the U.S. government. And you began to hear serious people talking seriously about the mystery of UFOs and UAPs. And to me, there was a specific moment in December 2020 when the CIA, former CIA director, John Brennan, who had just wrapped up a decade, a better part of a decade as the CIA director and White House Homeland Security Advisor, career intelligence officer, it came out in an interview with a blogger, Joe, that you probably know, Tyler Cowen here yeah. in Washington, yeah. who John told basically there are things out there that puzzle us. Um, there are things that are flying around that we don't know what they are. And there's some type of phenomenon that may to us represent something like a new form of life. It was like a terribly tortured syntax uh, and weirdly caveated series of statements. But that comment really struck me because I figure there are not too many things that puzzle John Brennan when he wakes up in the morning that like, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, he has spent, you know, 25 years in a position where when he wakes up in the morning, if he has a question, uh, there are a lot of people in the intelligence community whose job it is to go out and try to find the answer. And so if he was leaving office, still puzzled by whatever these things are that are flying around, then that was probably something worth diving into. And so this book really tries to weave together two threads of you know, modern security and aviation and astronomy history. Um, one is the military's hunt for UFOs here over the last 80 years, really since the dawn of the modern UFO era in 1947 in the wake of World War II as well as the evolving science and astronomy around our understanding of the universe, the possibility of life elsewhere, the possibility of intelligent life elsewhere, and really what the reality is of, you know, when and if we might ever come into contact with other intelligent civilizations. And so this book tries to weave together, you know, a lot of Cold War history, a lot of the space race, a lot of, uh, you know, evolving technology and astronomy, and then a bunch of sort of weird geopolitics uh, that end up a big part of this story as well. So that sounds like kind of a perfect storm recipe for every conspiracy nut on the planet to dive in both a bunch of questions that even the director or the CIA doesn't know the opportunity to quote unquote, do your own research, Joe and, and Garrett, I'm curious to your take, but Joe, when you were talking earlier about kind of the, the crossover with the modern conspiracy theories, especially about politics and QAnon and Trump, like, like it does, that fits together really well. Right. 
Well, well, that's what I wanted to talk to Garrett about. I mean, the reason I think the two books might be connected is, you know, Network of Lies is, a, you know, uh, we talked about that last week, but it just seems to me that when I read that by Brian Stelter on on Threads, I wanted to ask you, is that because of the U.S. government appearing to cover up its knowledge and understanding about UFOs, and therefore it, it gave, you know, it, it not only gave rise to conspiracies, but but starts to be part of the lack of trust in government. And at the same time, do you was in in your opinion, is is there a government cover up or is it just yeah. yeah. And that's where in a weird way that I was not expecting, this book ends up being a really good sequel to my last book on Watergate, where the second half of this book on UFOs really is the story of the collapse of truth and trust in government and institutions in the wake of Watergate, Vietnam, Pentagon Papers, Church Committee, Pike Committee in the 70s. And you see the the dawning in the 70s and early 80s of this very dark new trend in UFO conspiracies, where uh, you begin to have people talk about, you know, the government has recovered alien spacecraft, it has recovered alien bodies, uh, the government has made peace treaties with alien civilizations that allow them to uh, abduct humans and experiment on them and probe them. There are even, you know, one particular strain of UFO conspiracy theories that actually show uh, that we are, or, or that claim that we are in contact with multiple alien civilizations and that we have actually ha had, you know, outright battles between our special forces and alien uh, forces, um, you know, at bases in the American Southwest. And that, to me, these particularly dark and strange conspiracies in the 70s and 80s really are where I think you see the idea of the deep state born first in American politics. Um, you know, there, there have always mm -hmm. been conspiracies. You know, there was the, you know, there's the Kennedy assassination, you know, all sorts of other weird conspiracies, but the foundation of these UFO conspiracies, you know, where the government is hiding something, there, there's a massive cover-up and, you know, conspiracy of what is really the, the biggest, most fundamental secret that the government could be keeping from us, and that the government is, you know, even making deals with the aliens, you know, that are, you know, where they sort of compromise the sovereignty or the health and well-being of the American people are really striking. And to me, there is this pretty clear line from these UFO conspiracies in the 70s and 80s to the far right fringe that, you know, ends up evolving into January 6th. I don't think you get January 6th and the big lie without 
the UFO conspiracies in the 70s and 80s. And there's, uh, there's actually one very clear straight line to this, which a lot of people don't know, where there is a particular, you know, one of the real founders of the UFO conspiracies in the 1980s is this guy, Bill Cooper, who uh, is best known probably as the author of a wildly strange and conspiratorial and anti-Semitic book called Beyond a Pale Horse that, you know, is still actually a big seller on the far right today. You know, a big part of the book is literally just the reprinting of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. I mean, it, the, the book is very weird and very awful. And it, it Bill Cooper in the 1980s emerges as this guy claiming to be a naval intelligence officer during the Vietnam War who saw firsthand documentation of the U.S. government's dealings with alien civilizations. He drifts ever more into the far right as the 80s and early 90s begins, becomes the force behind one of the most popular national conservative talk radio shows in the 1990s, where he becomes the inspiration and, and mentor to a young Austin, Texas, public access talk show host named Alex Jones. Ugh. And Cooper and Alex Jones end up in this, you know, deepening small stakes feud in conservative talk radio as the millennium approaches and Alex Jones rises in prominence. They have a big falling out on 9-11 as... Alex Jones begins to drift into what we now call 9-11 trutherism because Bill Cooper thinks that Alex Jones is now actively lying to his listeners, whereas Bill Cooper, in Bill Cooper's mind, uh, you know, always tells the truth. You know, he, he will never right. lie to you, whereas this Alex Jones guy, he's just making it up as he goes along. And by this point, Bill Cooper has drifted into, you know, the farthest extreme of the fringe right, um, you know, into the tax protester world and, and all of that. Um, he's uh, doing battle with a from his Arizona bunker compound with a local prosecutor named Janet Napolitano, and he uh, ends up dying in a police shootout in the uh, at the end of 2001, where sheriff's deputies come to arrest him. He opens fires on the deputies, shoots one of them. They return fire and end up killing him. But in many ways, I think he has given birth to this really wacky, you know, conspiracy wing of far right conservative talk radio and is in some ways the like ideological godfather of a lot of what we see today in the sort of worst strains of, you know, the far right. Again, is it how the government played into this? Uh, I mean, would, I mean, in, as you were writing the book, did you see places where had the government been more open or, or I, I guess, is there anything that could have been done? or that you now think needs to be done to get into what's real and not 
real or is that even possible now that we've got yeah, all the it, way down the rabbit hole you know it, it's a really good question because one of the things that you know sort of saw as i dove into this history and went back through decades of declassified government reports and files and archives is there is a very real government cover-up about its understanding of ufos um and you know modern day uaps was that like the new ufo yeah it's the the term that the government has rebranded ufos with in the last 10 years to try to destigmatize the conversation around ufos but also to signal a little bit of a definitional shift which is by saying that these are now anomalous phenomenon you're now no longer restricting them to just aerial objects or flying objects and you're also not restricting them to just physical objects because got it and, and we can talk about at some point about like what uaps actually will turn out to be which i think we actually have a pretty good sense of is um at this point but what you see is there is a very real government cover-up about its knowledge and understanding of ufos and uaps across 80 years the challenge is it's not the grand conspiracy that you know i think the public likes to imagine that it is and in fact it's like a much more mundane cover-up that you know there's one there there are two obvious levels of secrecy that cloak this subject that we know about one is some chunk of ufo and uap sightings are the government's own secret development projects um you know a huge chunk of the ufo sightings of the 1950s were the cia now says sightings of the development of the u2 spy plane which very much was in the 1950s a ufo it was a plane that didn't look like a known plane flying at altitudes that planes were not known to fly at at speeds planes were not known to fly we've seen you know similar confusion around the development of the sr-71 and a-12 ox cart the you know the stealth bomber the stealth fighter and the government has a lot of these projects still going on um you, you know both manned and unmanned systems just this month the air force had its first test flight of its new b-21 stealth bomber you know there's the government is still testing some weird stuff up there the second cloak of secrecy is some chunk of ufo and uap sightings are advanced adversary technology being tested against us um you know chinese drones russian drones iranian drones you know, maybe Tony Stark, um, you know, up in his mountain bunker somewhere building something that, uh, you know, we don't know about yet. And the government is pretty squirrely about talking about what its sensors picks, pick up and what they don't. It, you know, it doesn't want to give the intelligence and knowledge of what it's able to detect, how detailed its detection systems are so on and so forth and you know we we got actually a very interesting reminder of the scale of the government sensor networks this summer with the titan titanic submersible um which if you remember you know there were 
it disappears. There are days and days of, you know, this hunting for it. You know, did these people survive? Are they alive? Uh, you know, is it on the bottom of the ocean, you know, running out of oxygen? And then after the government found the submersible, there was a leak, of, you know, a week or two later that actually the Navy had heard in real time the submersible's implosion, that it had its anti-submarine sensor system in the North Atlantic had, you know, heard that implosion in real time. And that basically, like, the U.S. Navy had known that all of these people were dead from the first moment, but didn't want to come out and say that to anyone because of how it would give away you know, its detection capabilities uh, around this anti-submarine surveillance system. So those are sort of two levels of secrecy that we know exist around UFOs and UAPs. Um, but then you get to sort of the question that I think most people get stuck on, which is the, you know, is the government covering up meaningful knowledge of UFOs and UAPs? And I think to me, I remain pretty convinced across all of the research that I've done, all of the people that I've talked to, um, you know, including some of the literal most senior members of the U.S. intelligence community in recent years, that John Brennan was really telling the truth, that the U.S. government doesn't know what some chunk of these UAPs and UFOs actually are, and that it, what you're actually seeing is the government trying to cover up its ignorance, not its knowledge of what these things actually are. And, you know, Joe, you, you know this um, from your work. Like, it's a really uncomfortable thing for a bureaucracy to say, I don't know. And, and particularly true when, you know, that's a bureaucracy that we spend, you know, in round numbers, $1 trillion a year on in terms of national security and intelligence and homeland security. And for them to say, yeah, you know, there's a bunch of weird stuff out there that we don't really know what it is. And to me, the, the scandal of the government's knowledge of UFOs is not what it knows, but what it doesn't know. And to me, you know, as a taxpayer and a citizen, I think the government should be taking this more seriously. I, I think that the government should be paying more attention to this, that it should be trying to understand what these things actually are um, and actually try to solve this mystery. Because, uh, you know, I'm 100% convinced in in my work uh in in research and you know i say this in the book ufos are real and uaps are real and that doesn't mean that i think that the most likely answer is that they are alien spacecraft visiting earth it means that there is science that we don't yet understand that we should be more interested in trying to answer well also when you have that uh, like you said, a bureaucracy that ha can't admit that it doesn't know. Uh, first of all, it leaves a lot of room for people to say that, like Alex Jones, to say they do know, and here's what's going on. And that bureaucracy will not, it can't say that's not true. 
because it doesn't know if it's true or not. I mean, in other words, you, you start to fuel, you, you know, you, you actually, by by not being able to step up and say we don't know, and you actually see this e- even in, you know, uh, today, if there's an accusation that, uh, you know, that something happened in Syria or or in Gaza, you know, we we can't either, for all the reasons you're talking about, you, the government doesn't want, you know, to, to tell you that we do know exactly what happened because we have means and everything, or they really don't know and they can't say anything about it. And then, of course, that that fuels any speculation. And, and again, the far right or the alt-right, whatever you want to call it, uh, is happy to fill that vacuum when it when it benefits them. And, and, yeah. and other ideologies, true, too, uh, terrorist groups, et cetera. And, and I think that, that you know, that's another really important point of this, which is there really is no such thing as the government. Like, there's no single entity that can speak with total authority on what the government knows mm-hmm. and what it doesn't know. And that the government is actually, and this isn't just about UFOs, this is about, you know, basically any issue that the government is is talking about, is really bad at knowing what the government knows and what it doesn't know. And there are, you know, some really interesting and, and evocative examples of this across UFO history, where uh, in one of the most dramatic instances in you know the early history of UFOs, you get a really clear example of this. So the modern UFO age dates to the summer of 1947. Uh, this was right at, again, the dawn of the Cold War. National security was in this huge transition moment for the you know, remaking itself for this generational conflict against the Soviet Union. 1947, you have the National Security Act of 1947 passed that creates the modern Defense Department, creates the Secretary of Defense, creates the Joint Chiefs of Staff, creates the National Security Council, creates the CIA as the first peacetime intelligence agency, and creates the Air Force as the first as a standalone independent service branch for the first time. Uh, up until then, the Air Force had actually been confusingly part of the Army. And summer of 47, uh, a Idaho businessman named Kenneth Arnold is flying around the Pacific Northwest near Mount Rainier and sees nine objects, bright objects in the sky moving at some tremendous speed. He lands, talks to you know some friends about this, ends up getting picked up by the media that he's seen these flying saucer-like objects, and it kicks off this intense summer of flying saucer sightings. You know, which, which had effectively never happened before that summer. Um, you have sightings across thirty-four states, up into Canada, you know, all over North America. The in, you know now infamous Roswell crash is part of this in the summer of '47, and is very quickly lost against the backdrop of the just this huge overwhelming wave of sightings, and the Air Force is left confronting as its literal first crisis as a independent service branch this 
era of the flying saucer and the mystery of the flying saucer. And no one at that time thinks that these things are extraterrestrials. You know, that that really only comes a little bit later as pop culture and Hollywood gets involved. The Air Force's concern is that these are secret Soviet spacecraft being built by kidnapped Nazi rocket scientists. Because what is the U.S. government doing at this time? We brought a bunch of kidnapped Nazi rocket scientists to the American Southwest, to places like Los Alamos and the White Sands Proving Grounds, and are, and you know are trying to build our own version of the V two rocket, and you know build the early stages of the, of the space race. So the concern from the military is that the Soviets have somehow managed to leapfrog our technology in terms of rocketry and flight and build these flying saucers. January 1948 rolls around. There's a UFO spotted over Kentucky, a Kentucky Air National Guard pilot named Thomas Mantell, and some of his uh, squadron are scrambled to go chase after it in the sky. Mantell is the only one who actually finds this object in the sky, chases after it, sends this disturbing series of uh, radio messages back uh, to you know his air traffic controllers reporting that he's you know giving chase that this thing is metallic, it's enormous, it you know he's still climbing up to its altitude and then he goes silent and an hour or so passes and it becomes clear that he's actually crashed and died along the Kentucky-Tennessee border. And there's this real panic uh, in that moment of, you know, was this P-51 shot down by a hostile UFO somehow? You know, it, it are these things actual hostile aircraft doing battle with American fighters? And it takes until 1952 for the Air Force's UFO unit, uh, which is known as Project Blue Book, to actually figure out what happened. And what happened was Thomas Mantell was chasing a Navy research balloon. Um, it was a secret balloon project being built by the Navy by a unlikely government contractor, General Mills, the cereal manufacturer in Minnesota, that was meant to try to make basically the first plastic weather balloons of of this you know new new age, and. Thomas Mantell stumbles upon one of these balloons uh, that was a true UFO. It was like 300 feet across. It was enormous. It would have looked metallic. And he, you know, to him, he was chasing a real UFO. And it, you know, it took four years to uncover that this was actually just another secret government project that he didn't know about. Well, and I'm glad you got to got to balloons because obviously over the last year we've had uh, some Chinese balloons floating across the sky, which is a good example because that's just something where the government has to react to a situation in pretty much real time. They might have some intel, but you know they're 
they're crossing in certain ways. But if you looked at how right wing media and particularly the like really alt right stuff covered the balloons, it, the Chinese balloons, I mean, now, I mean, direct parallel, right? Like there must be things that the government's covering up because they don't want us to know. I was like, well, it's it, it it just very clear. You mentioned the through line, very clear through line here. Yeah. And it also is a good example of what UFOs and UAPs, I think, will actually turn out to be as we get into this. I think that the mystery of UAPs is probably a pie chart of four different categories. One is adversary technology being tested against us, which we know that at least some chunk of this is actually true because one of the things that the Pentagon has said as part of its reinvigorated UAP work since 2017 is that it discovered a heretofore unknown transmedium drone from China, which is to say a Chinese drone that comes out of the water and transitions to flight, which was a technology that the U.S. did not realize China possessed. The second category is, I think, what ended up with the the Chinese spy balloon flap in uh, in February of this year, which is there's just a bunch of weird stuff floating around up there in the sky that we don't pay attention to on a on a daily basis. And if you turn the NORAD radars just a little bit differently than they're normally tuned, it turns out we start picking up a bunch of weird sky clutter which is how we ended up with not just the balloon, but those three other objects that were UFOs that, you know, we sent the world's most advanced fighter jet up to shoot down with quarter million dollar missiles. And like, you know what we got? We got a weather balloon from a Northern Illinois meteorology hobbyist club. Uh, that had just been floating around over North America that no one had been paying attention to. And then all of a sudden we panicked and shot it down. Some chunk of this is basically the equivalent of sky junk. The, the third category, I think, is where you begin to move into the phenomena portion of UAPs, which is atmospheric, meteorological, and astronomical science that we don't yet understand. You know, the world is just a weirder place than I think we give it credit for, and that we misunderstand as humans how much we understand about the world around us. And there's actually a lot of science left for us to piece together. And, you know, this is things like ball lightning and plasma and St. Elmo's fire and a bunch of other weird quirks of meteorology and astronomy and atmospheric science that we're still trying to figure out. And then I think a fourth category of this is going to turn out to be the truly, truly weird stuff, the stuff that is weirder than anything that we can possibly imagine. And that to me, is phenomenon that are going to be solved as our understanding of physics evolves. You know, when we talk about the world being weirder than we think it is, it's easy to think that we understand more about physics than we actually do. Um, Harvard's astronomy chair, Avi Loeb, who's one of the big modern proponents of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, 
talks about how in January, the world's oldest woman died. Uh, she was a French nun. She was 118 years old. And everything that we know about relativity and quantum physics, we learned in her lifetime. You know, basically, our understanding of modern advanced physics is one human lifespan old. And so imagine what we will learn about physics in the next human lifespan, the next 500 years, the next 1,000 years, the next 10,000 years, the, the next million years, if we are able to uh, last as a civilization that long. And that, you know, this could be incredibly weird stuff that boggles our modern imaginations. You know, parallel universes, interdimensional travel, uh, time travel from the past or the future. Uh, this could be wormholes that make space travel more possible than we currently understand it to be. Uh, but that, to me, we need to be open to the possibility that some chunk of UAPs actually does represent, you know, world changing, world rewriting possibilities that still may stop short of the answer being aliens from Alpha Centauri happening to stop by in a flying saucer. You know, I mean, uh, all this, I could keep talking to you uh, all day about this. It's so fascinating. And, uh, uh, and it, it, you know, I hope it's uh, uh, getting our listeners to think hard about. Uh, Got to go out and get this book. Uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. But before we we close this, I do want to, um, Garrett, ask you. You know, you talked uh, uh, earlier about you think the government should be, you know, really pursuing this, really looking at it, really taking it seriously, trying to find the answers. What would a serious UFO UAP study effort look like? Uh, how should the U.S. government go about that? And, you know, and any other thoughts you may have uh, uh, as we're running out of time? Yeah. So to me, there, again, like part of this is just saying there can be insightful and meaningful and important answers to this mystery that still aren't aliens. And that, that to me is part of why it's so important that the tone and tenor of this conversation has changed in the last couple of years is, you know, the government is trying to decrease what you would call the giggle factor about having people come forward and, and talk about spotting UFOs. And to me, trying to uncover what the core of this mystery could be and will be I think involves a couple of big sort of philosophical principles of how the work should be conducted. One is it it needs to be taken out of the realm of the military and the intelligence community. You know, a lot of this I think is science that we need to understand. And so trying to move this out of the national security realm, I think is an important part of the evolution and maturation of it as a uh, mystery. It needs to be open and transparent and international and cooperative because the U.S. does not have any specific monopoly on 
UAP sightings around the world. Um, you know, the U.S. actually represents a hugely disproportionate percentage of UFO and UAP sightings uh, across the globe, but that has more to do with, I think, our public fascination with it and pop culture fascination with the subject that it does that, you know, aliens are visiting the United States more than the rest of the planet. And then I think we really need to be trying to move as much as we can to a data and sensor and instrument-based approach to this, that one of the challenges across the last 80 years is that too much of our UFO uh, mystery has been based around human witnesses, which you know we know from every car accident scene in the world, it, humans are uniquely poor eyewitnesses. And we need to be doing more about trying to move this into harder scientific observation that can provide data and sensor measurements. Uh, and Avi Loeb, who I mentioned, um, the Harvard Astronomy Chair, runs this thing called the Galileo Project uh, that's pushing for a better understanding of, of UAPs and search for extraterrestrial life. He's actually built uh, in Cambridge the first UAP observatory that has actually just come online in the last couple of weeks that is a, you know, sky surveying instrument uh, panel that is trying to record a baseline of what the sky actually looks like and what things move through the sky on a regular basis as a way to help better understand anomalous phenomenon as they occur. Because we don't even have a very good baseline right now of like what actually an anomalous phenomenon is in the sky. So to me, there, you know, there's all sorts of interesting and exciting stuff that we could be doing here that could really transform our understanding of ourselves and the place in the world, but that still could stop short of it actually being, you know, alien visitors and flying saucers. So that to me is the, the excitement and the promise of this entire mystery. Well, I think that's a, a good place to end this conversation, uh, Garrett. I you know, I, I got to be honest with you. I did not think when we started this conversation or when we invited you on that it would go from UFO conspiracies to Alex Jones lies to January 6th, which might actually be the title of, the, of this episode. Um, but, but Garrett, thanks for, for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening to that trippy show. Uh, Garrett, we'll put a link to the book, you know, in our show notes. But uh, is there where else can people follow you or, or find you and find what you're doing? Um, yeah, I'm uh, Vermont GMG on threads and Twitter and, and Blue Sky. And uh, you can find me at GarrettGraff.com and, and purchase the book there as well, as well as wherever you like to get your books, audiobook or ebook or, or hardcover. Great. And, you know, again, uh, thanks for coming on. I think this is really fascinating and, and uh, uh, important I, in terms, again, of how it links up with the deep state and how we got to where we are today and hopefully where we're going to go in the future as we, as we look more into UFOs and UAPs. This podcast, and thanks for everybody listening to the podcast, it's all, always free with support from our advertisers. This podcast is part of Resolute Square. Check out the latest at ResoluteSquare.com slash trippy. 
Please subscribe to That Trippy Show. Leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. Uh, if you're listening this as it comes out, it's the day after Thanksgiving. We hope you had a, a good one and enjoy the rest of your weekend. And hope this podcast uh, episode today with Garrett gives you something to think about uh, as we move forward. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.